Have you ever met someone and realized they were nothing like you first thought they were? I felt like that in the fall of 2007, the very first time I met the Hawks and the Valkmers. We hung out at Rome's Pizza right here in town. And when uh, I met, you know, Amy and um, Beth, they were the nicest gals you'd ever want to meet. But uh, Kyle and Johnny, like, you know Kyle. Like, I mean, he has that crazed, wild look in his eye. He had the same look except with a whole lot more hair. And Johnny, he was like right out of the wilderness himself. I'll never forget the first time we had a launch team meeting. I mean, we were just getting started. We're, we're meeting people. And, and so we're trying to start Gateway Fellowship. And they're called to our community to start Chi Alpha at UTSA. And we're like, uh, we're kind of like dating each other, we're like getting to know each other to see if this could be a good partnership. And I'll never forget the first launch team meeting we had. And we had about 25 uh, adults there and a lot of like, young moms, and, and then it was Johnny and Kyle the first time, and they're kind of like sitting in the middle. And out of nowhere, in the middle of my training, Johnny pulls out a knife with like a three or four inch blade on it, and everybody just turns and looks at this like, this guy with a knife in his hand, and he didn't think any of it, thinking anything of it. He just started cleaning out his nails, trimming his nails with this knife in the middle of the training. It was like... Who is this guy? But you know what? The more I got to know Johnny and Kyle, the more I trusted them. The more I began to love them. The scripture talks about there is, there is one friend that's closer than a brother. And these guys became close brothers. I would lay down my life for them and I know they would do the same thing for me. And this is my hope for you. That, that there is someone who's closer than a brother. And his name is Jesus. And the more you know him, the more you're going to love him, the more you'll want to obey him, the more that he will be everything to you. And so, I, I, but I want to challenge you. I want to challenge what you've previously known about the Lord, about who you've known about Jesus. Like when I was real young, I, I always had this like understanding and this concept, preconception of an idea that Jesus was nice. He never would say a bad word about anybody. He was meek. He had long hair, and he always carried a lamb around. Like, that's just what I, when I thought Jesus, that's who I, anybody else, that's kind of what, who you thought of Jesus when you, were, when you were younger growing up. But here's the reality. Jesus wasn't crucified for being nice. He was a revolutionary. He was a rebel against religion. He divided history. So the question I want to ask you is, who is Jesus? Not who you think about Jesus or, or your understanding, and that's a relative truth, but who is Jesus revealed by God in the word of the Lord? And so as we embark on a brand new journey through Matthew, I, wanna, I want to challenge you. I want you to examine this Jesus. I want you to study him. I want you to learn all about this Jesus as you abide with him, as you spend time on Sundays with him. In your own small groups, every Wednesday night for the rest of this year, we're going to have a teacher on Facebook Live at 8 p.m. I want you to tune in and I want you to take a journal and I want I want you to fill that journal up with who the Holy Spirit is revealing Jesus to you. Uh, there was a couple of seasons in my life where I was not satisfied of my knowledge and understanding of Jesus. In 2010, I said, Holy Spirit, reveal your son Jesus to me. 
And so I began to study the gospel of John. I remember going out to Lakey, Texas for a few days all, all by myself. And all I had was the Bible and a journal. And I began to just fall in love with Jesus. And I began to take big passages of scriptures and meditate on them and, and memorize them. And the Holy Spirit revealed 81 attributes of God about his character and nature. I began to study his, his commands in scripture. And then about nine months ago, I, I kind of came to the same moment. And I said, Lord, I'm not satisfied. I want to I be more passionate and more hungry for who you are. Would you reveal more of yourself to me? And so I got into the gospel of Matthew. And I began to study it and read it. I would, uh, in my own abide times, I would do the soap method. Every day I would, I would start a new chapter and I would write a scripture, an observation, an application, a prayer. And that led to memorizing God's word. And it led to buying books about Jesus and commentaries. And I would listen to podcasts. I couldn't get enough. There was this hunger deep inside of me for Jesus. And I have fallen even more. And every day I fall more in love with Jesus. And it's my hope and my prayer for you that as we, as we set off on this journey to explore who Jesus is, that the Holy Spirit would reveal himself to you in a very powerful and real way. Turn with me in your Bibles to the first book of the New Testament, the Gospel of Matthew. The author is Matthew. He was a despised tax collector. We don't know what was in his backstory that made him sell his soul to the Roman rule. Like, I, I personally believe that it was more than just greed for money. I, I believe that he was hurt by someone in his family, a friend. Maybe he was uh, something about him that, that made him feel like an outsider. And there was pain. There was a wound. I believe this because when you get to Matthew chapter 18, the whole chapter is like one of the longest uh, teachings on forgiveness and resolving conflict. I believe Jesus discipled Matthew to a place to experience freedom from, from bitterness and hurt. But I believe that he always felt like an outsider. You see, in, in the first century, the Jews hated the Romans because they oppressed them. But you know who they hated more than the Romans? They were the Jews, the, the, the tax collectors that would betray them. As part of Red Sox Nation, I've been part, a Red Sox fan since I was in the fifth grade. I love the Red Sox. I follow them. It's my favorite sport, my favorite team. And do you know who I hate? More than Yankee fans who boo me during a sermon. <laughs> it's former Red Sox fans that became Yankees. It's like the cardinal sin, a betrayal. Like you don't do that. You don't sell your soul to the evil empire. So I can go down names. Jacoby Ellsbury, Johnny Damon, Wade Boggs, Roger Clemens. They're dead to me. I hope they never retire their numbers. They're never going to be in the Red Sox Hall of Fame. Now, I'm not exaggerating a bit, but I hope you understand the disdain that Jews had for tax collectors. The disdain and the hate that they had for Matthew. Everywhere he would go, everywhere he would walk. I mean, here he was collecting taxes. And these guys were cheats, man. They would, they would charge more money. They would pocket some of the money. They would give some of the money to the Romans. It was just terrible. And this is the guy that when Jesus saw him in his tax collecting booth, he said, come and follow me. It was an invitation that an outsider could be a part of a group. For the first time in Matthew's life, he belonged to a small group. He would experience community and friendship. Most importantly, he belonged to Jesus. 
So it's with that understanding that he's writing this gospel. This is about 50 years after the resurrection of Jesus. He's a middle-aged man now and he's reflecting and the Holy Spirit is inspiring him to write this discourse, this, this gospel, this good news of Jesus. And he's a Jew writing to a Jewish audience. I mean, we have translations that are Greek, but I believe most historians are right that this was originally written in Hebrew to a Jewish audience about a Jewish man who is God. And it's about a king, the arrival of a king establishing his kingdom. And it, the, the central theme throughout this, this book is that the outsiders are in. The religious people, the people who thought they had it all together, who, who had all the answers, didn't. They missed it. And so you're going to hear story after story. You're going you're to see encounters of the, the underdogs, the people who are poor, broken, sick, the outsiders who were invited into the kingdom of God. And, and Matthew was one of them. And so he was called to a purpose to then reach out to the underdogs. And, and that should be our heart. If you're not, some of you feel like an outsider because of your past. You feel like you will never be welcome. You'll never be part of the family of God. It's a lie. That the Lord would never truly forgive you or, or that you could belong to him. And that is a lie. Because Matthew's story gives us hope. And that we should look to Jesus as, a, as a, the arrival of the king. And so this, this book, this, it has great purpose. It links the Old Testament to the New Testament. 400 years of silence. 800 years since these prophetic prophets that would give words of a future Messiah, the blessed hope, a king that would come. And now Jesus is being written by Matthew, the one that was one of the apostles. This is a, a deeply controversial book because of, again, the religious. Most of the Jews wouldn't have accepted someone who would have who would have had such a, a shady past. And this whole gospel, this story, the Genesis came from a uh, it had so much like sketchiness and shadiness to it. But Matthew would write it with integrity. And he presents this, this Jesus of Nazareth before you. And you must consider who he is. Examine, study him, learn about him, know him, and then make a decision. His, his very nature demands a response. Will you accept him? Would you surrender to him as, as he is your king and Lord? Would you, would you be like Zacchaeus to invite him in for dinner and hang out? Or would you be like the rich young ruler who rejected him and walked away in great sadness? Lord, as we open up your very sacred text and begin to read it, I pray that the same Holy Spirit that inspired these words would come alive in our hearts. That God, that you would give us such a, a hunger and a desire to know you. I pray that this is not just a study and a teaching of, about you, about the historical nature, but rather, Father, we are in your presence even now. Reveal yourself to us through this sacred word in Jesus' name. Matthew chapter 1, verse 18. Let's begin. Now the birth of Jesus Christ was as follows. After his mother Mary was betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found with child of the Holy Spirit. And before they came together, she came to be pregnant with the Holy Spirit. Now, this would have been very problematic in the first century. You see, Joseph and Mary were probably in their late teens. They grew up and they were just kids from a small town. Nazareth would have only been about 500 people, far less than the amount of people here in this room right now. 
So everybody would have known each other. Joseph and Mary grew up with each other. Their parents knew each other. They made the match. They said, this is good. Our kids need to to date and become betrothed and married each other. So they started that journey. And and when you're betrothed, this is like a year of engagement. It's like a legal contract. You are together. You are not opting out. And then after about a year of engagement, then the woman would move in. And then the the sexual union would follow. But before that, it wouldn't happen. So it was during that time where she was betrothed that she becomes pregnant. And that, again, that would have been, ah, oh, to, be, to get pregnant before the actual moving in would have brought great shame, not only to yourself, but to your entire family. And so the consequence, if, if, you, if there was infidelity or the other reason why you'd be pregnant before is because of rape, because of a Roman soldier, if that ever happened, then the consequences would have been either death or divorce. And so Joseph, I mean, can you imagine being this kid who's engaged, and then she comes up to you and she says, I'm pregnant. Imagine with that. You know it's not your kid. How would you respond? Imagine all the emotions that you would have, the confusion you're trying to process. Notice how Joseph responds. In verse 19 it says, then Joseph, her husband, being a what kind of man? A just or a righteous man. He was a good guy. And not wanting to make her a public example, was minded to put her away secretly. He did not want to disgrace her. Again, they're not living together. They're in this, com- this like commitment. They're, they're in this, con- this legal contract. And now he's like, I'm opting out, but I don't want to, I don't want to put her before people. And uh, So he's trying to do something secret. And it takes something supernatural or divine to change his course, to change his mind. So look at verse 20. It says, but while he thought about these things, Behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take to you Mary, your wife, for that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. This story is beautiful in its simplicity. I mean, here the angel, it's like in a dream, and and he comes to, to Joseph and says, don't be afraid. I know you're freaking out and there's no peace and there's chaos in your mind and you're, you're struggling and you're restless. He's like, don't be afraid. I want you to take Mary for that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. Prior to this, remember he even used the word David. Like He, he said that in this, in this, Joseph, son of David, I want you to remember your heritage. Remember your, your, your line, what tribe you're a part of. Go back. Uh, Matt, this is very important because Matthew Again, he's, this is the third time David's mentioned in the first chapter. Why? Because David was the great revered king for this Jewish audience. They would have remembered the good old days when David was the king. And again, their, their hope was that another Messiah, another king would come and deliver them from Roman oppression. And so Matthew is writing this story and he's sharing these details that are very important. And again, like, like he's, he's a Jew writing to who? a Jewish audience trying to persuade them of the arrival of a king, that this is the Messiah that has come, right? And But again, he, David would include a lot of these details because he, he knew that a lot of Jews would struggle with this. Any kind of, like even in the, the genealogy and all the names that are mentioned, there's great purpose. Like, Matthew includes a woman by the name of Rahab who was not a Jew and was a former prostitute in the line of this king. 
This is something that you wouldn't normally include, but Matthew is writing with great integrity. This, uh, this other part of the story, that, that, that Mary gets pregnant and she's, she's betrothed. You wouldn't include this unless it was true, unless Matthew wanted to write with integrity. It's controversial, but it's beautiful in its simplicity. And Matthew, as he's writing, again, he's, he's saying, how was she conceived? Like with the Holy Spirit, right? Like he's, he's separating. Again, Greek mythology was huge during this time. And so the heroes of that day were gods who would come and be with women on earth and, and bring forth a, a hero. And so Matthew is presenting this, this king who he was being born through a divine spirit. And it, there would be like reflections to the first Genesis, the first account. Remember creation? Like God created the heaven and the earth and the earth was what? It was void. It was without any kind of form. It was dark. But who was hovering over the face of the waters? The spirit of the Lord. And out of the spirit of the Lord, there was creation. There was a garden. There was animals. There were trees. And there was man and woman. And now, once again, the Holy Spirit is conceiving this child with Mary and it's where this divine meets the human and comes together. And it's this Holy Spirit again that says starting this new beginning, this creation. Let's look at verse 21 because the angel is revealing three very important qualities about his gender, about his name, and his purpose. It says, and she will bring forth a son and you shall call his name Jesus. Say his name. Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. So here comes this, this holy mystery. Again, these, these, these Jews who are oppressed by the Romans, their only hope is that they would be set free. They remember when David was their king and they were like a superpower. They had all kinds of material blessings. There was peace. They, had no, they, they were not slaves to anybody. They were free people. And they were longing for those days. So this expectation that a new king would come, they would think, all right, they're going to be set free from this oppression, from this Roman rule. And, and this angel is revealing something very, very important, that this Jesus would save his people from their what? From their sins. So the greater problem than Roman rule was human depravity. A sin, missing the mark. And that Jesus, that his name, Jesus, is very significant in saving his people from sin. Jesus, it comes from the Hebrew word or the Hebrew name for Joshua, Yeshua. And if you abbreviate that name, it means Yeshua, Jesus. If you, in the English version, you take that, that Y and make it a J for Jesus. But Yo. Short for Yahweh, meaning God. And Shua is Hebrew for, for delivery, for rescue, for salvation. So the very name Jesus literally means Yahweh saves. God delivers. God rescues. This is what Jesus, his very name means. And he came and to save his people from their sins. To save who? His people from their sins. Remember, he came to his own. Many of his own did not receive him. But if you look at the whole context, so, uh, what about us? How do we fit in? Again, God loved the whole world. They gave his son. So if you look at the very beginning, right, God created 
man and woman in the garden, Adam and Eve, and there was great fellowship. But because of sin, disobedience, there was consequence. There was separation between man and God. And there were consequences to this sin. But as a result of this, God heard the cries of his people and he chose Abraham and the seed of Abraham to bless them so they could be a blessing to others and point to God. He'd give them the the Torah, the law, to tell people about who God is. But they would harden their heart. As a result, they were brought into captivity of the Egyptians. They were slaves. They cried out to God. God heard them. He brought a deliverer, Moses, to deliver them. But yet it took 40 years for Egypt to get out of their hearts But he had promised them a land and they would go into Israel, right? And then when they were there, instead of turning to God as their king, they looked around and they wanted a king of their own like the other nations. And so there were a lot of kings, not all of them as good as David. There were some evil kings and there seemed like there was a cycle, right? When they were good, there was blessing. When there was bad and sin and disobedience, there was consequence. There was judgment. Other other armies, other people were able to come in. And, and, And finally, Babylon would come and take them out of Israel. But a remnant would come back to Jerusalem. It didn't work out that well. And so there you are. We have the 400 years of silence between the Old Testament and the New Testament. And then Matthew is saying there's going to be a rival of this new king that would not set you free from Roman rule or or the oppression of other countries, but rather the bigger problem is that you can't save yourself from is sin. It's sin. It's sin. It comes from the, the word that means to miss the mark, to miss God's standard for holiness. The, the reality is we've all been like sheep who've gone astray, right? We all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. We've all struggled. We've all screwed up. And surely we can look around in this world today and see so much evil, Right? And it's easy to point to that and see how things are so messed up. But can we be honest and look inwardly? Can we even look in our past? How many of you are grateful that God had forgiven and saved you from the sin in your past, right? But he will, if we will confess, he will save and forgive us from from sins. But we we need to look internally and and see the shadow side, to see the the tendency, to see the things that that we can also miss the mark. Because the reality is, that Jesus came to save his people from what? From their sins. Not just save in sin, but to save from their sins. All sins. The sin of pride, the sin of lust, the sin of gossip, the sin of disobedience, the sin of lying. That Jesus saves and cleanses from all sin. Praise the Lord for this. And he doesn't just save you from sin. He doesn't just save you from death and separation in hell. He saves you to himself. He saves you to holiness and purity that you may walk with him with a clear conscience. That is what Jesus has done. That's the good news of the gospel. That he, through the cross, he allowed himself to be that payment of sin, the consequence, so that we can be forgiven Praise the Lord that in such great desperate need, Jesus rescues us from sin. Now this is the only, Jesus is the only person that can save us. In the first century, those in the east would would say, they had 630 laws that they would, if they obeyed these laws, they were considered good and they found favor with God. But good works can't save. I think today in the west, Still, there's other things that we think can save us. We think money can save us. If we have enough money and uh, investments that we don't really need God, we can be independent. And the Lord will allow anything to happen. 
to allow us to come to a place of brokenness and dependent humility where we would see that Jesus is the only name under heaven that we can be saved. For he alone is the way, the truth, and the life. And we must acknowledge that Jesus is God. Let's look at verse 22. It says, so all this was done that it might be fulfilled which was spoken by the Lord through the prophet, saying, Behold, the virgin shall be with child and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which is translated God with us. The Son of God gets two names. Jesus, meaning God rescues, God saves. The second name is what? Emmanuel, which means God with us. So his Jewish audience would have understood this whole passage of Scripture. We get a glimpse, but many times when a rabbi or a writer would give a a word of a very familiar passage, their mind would have gone to Isaiah chapter 7, that there would be a future king that the prophet would say. And in Isaiah 7, it says that Emmanuel, God with us. Some of you know the rest of of the verse that reveals the full character of, of God, that he would be what? He would be a wonderful counselor. He'd be the mighty God. He would be the Prince of Peace. And who? What's the fourth? Everlasting Father. Father that would never leave them nor forsake them. This is, this is the King that was coming. So who is Jesus to you? He's a deliverer. He will save from sin. He will be with you that God would leave everything that is wonderful in heaven and take the form of a child, full, fully man, but yet fully God, to be with us. Think about that. To be with us. Jesus wants to be with you. He's as close as you allow him to be. He desires fellowship. He desires a personal relationship. He doesn't just want you to know about him. He wants you to know him personally, intimately, with close fellowship. There's a true story. Many, many years ago, there was a Persian king who was wise and good. But yet he found himself detached from the people he was ruling. And he heard about their hardship and their problems. Many of them poor and he was living in luxury. And so he decided to take an experiment. He wanted to learn firsthand about his people. And so he took off his robe, put his crown to the side and got dressed up like a very poor man, a beggar. And he would enter the villages of his people and he would walk the streets and he would look with his eyes. No one knew he was the king. No one knew he was the ruler. He wanted to spend time with them. He wanted to understand them. And so he asked, who is the poorest? Who is the the one that is in greatest need? And they all pointed to this this very poor old man that lived all of his life in this this, this, this cellar. And so he entered this, this cellar And he learned the man's name and he listened to his story and he sat with him for several hours. He ate the same coarse food as this man, the stale breadcrumbs. And he spent time with him, encouraging him and lifting up his spirit. And he left. After several days, the king, so burdened for his people, decided to return. This time, in all of his glory, with his robe and with his riches, And everybody who he met before, he began to give them gifts, treasure, coins. He began to bless his people. And there was great excitement. He went back to that old basement, to where the old man was. And he revealed who he was. He said, I'm your king. 
I am your ruler. How can I help you? Fully expecting this man to think that he was going to receive a handout. The man had heard that this king had come. And he said, to others you have brought the gifts. But to me, you came and you spent time with me. And you listened to my story and you encouraged me and you knew me by name. To others you gave gifts. But to me, you gave yourself. You gave yourself. The Lord sees you. He sees the loneliness. He sees the discouragement. He sees the addictions. He sees the struggle. He gave his son out of great love to rescue you from your sin.